I mean, it was fun to go back and watch for sure. We can rag. Yeah, on, for sure. We can rag on, which I mean, we can get 40 minutes out of that. Let's get right into it. If you guys are hearing this, that means we are live here on the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, the flagship show of Land Grant Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, we're about a month away from college football. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling good. I'm, I am I know we talked like a month ago about how we were kind of ready for college football to be here. Um, I'm a little less sure on that, on that now as we get closer. It's, it's like starting to hit me that, um, you know, we're going to be back into like the 16 hour days of just watching college football. And while that's great, it's also like devastating for my mental and physical health generally. Um, so I'm a little concerned about that, but we're, we're certainly getting closer. We're getting to like the time of summer where you've got media days and you know everybody pretends that that's a big deal and you've got big time you know preview series coming out from every different site and everybody's really starting to gear up to you know cover the upcoming season and uh there was actually a little bit of kind of ohio state related news this uh this past week it it came prior to uh, to media days and then continued into media days with a guy who is pretty relevant for our uh, our episode here uh jim harbaugh got into a little bit of trouble <laughs> this past week yeah he did before we talk about that though i just find it hilarious that everybody's doing media day previews and is like ready for the season and meanwhile we're talking about the nc state game from 2003 it's very very on brand. that's super yeah. Yeah, it's very on brand <laughs> but everything is ramping up and we're going to ramp up here as we get closer to the season, so be sure to keep up with everything on the podcast. Follow along on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Spotify. Go to the podcast section, just search Land Grant and Holy Land, find this episode and all of our other episodes there. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff coming your way uh, as the 2019 season is right around the corner. But yeah, very relevant episode today with what we're talking about to Jim Harbaugh's comments and of course we're continuing our countdown of the top 20 most rewatchable games in Ohio State history and today's is the most recent and it's number six and it is Ohio State's 62 to 39 win over Michigan uh, less than like what five six months ago that that was the thing that happened Uh, we were very wrong about that game but it's extremely good and we're going to talk about that here in a second but it's fitting that we're talking about this game today, and this is post maybe a day or two after Jim Harbaugh went on Tim Kawakami's podcast, and really just out of the blue, I don't know if you've listened to it or our listeners actually listened to the podcast, but I know Kawakami asked his thoughts on Urban Meyer and, and what he thought about him retiring, but I, I thought it was kind of out of left field, and Jim Harbaugh basically said, like, ah, he wins, but controversy follows him wherever he goes. And that was that. And it was super odd and felt out of place. Yeah, I, I think that I, I my uh, my take, surprisingly, isn't actually super hot with, regard, with regards to this whole thing. I'm not like, you know, Jim Harbaugh innocent, but I'm also not um, leaning towards the side of like Ohio State fans who has spent the last week yelling about how uh, Jim Harbaugh should be put in prison, which is what they do whenever Urban Meyer gets um, really any kind of negative press or 
Um, also, you know, this we, is we, good. Become, like, I w- keep talking. This keep, yeah, this is, keep yeah, talking. Content. This is what happened yeah. <laughs> before the, the game, and what we'll talk about. This, this this is like Karan Higdon guaranteeing a win. This is like yeah. what other Michigan players said. And I don't know why they keep doing it. <laughs> no, neither do I. And that's that's the weird thing. And and I I am with you. And I I don't think it was super controversial, but it's just odd to me that especially since he's on yeah. his way out that. Jim Harbaugh just wouldn't be like, you know, uh, you obviously had a great career and he's not at Ohio State anymore. You know, that's a not even getting into like that's a game we need to win, but just like he's obviously a great coach. He's not there anymore. We're focused like just coach speak would be fine. And I do appreciate that Jim Harbaugh is one of the, the rare guys that chooses to open his mouth. But with stuff like that, it's just like, bro. Why would you add any extra fire? Like that's that to me, and I've said it on this podcast before. Even I, I thought the bigger thing from what he talked about with Tim Kawakami that I thought was very incendiary of kind of what Michigan is, is he he listed their goals and it was like win championships and and graduate players or, or something like that. But there was no mention of Ohio State. And conversely, we know how Ohio State kind of infamously for us focuses on Michigan every single day. And uh, to me, I think that that's a big part of why Ohio State has had so much success in the rivalry and Michigan kind of just treats it like any other game. And I I guarantee you that if Michigan won two games in a row, that people from Michigan and Michigan fans would try to start treating this like it's not a rivalry anymore. Like that's just how they operate. Yeah, I I certainly agree with that. I think that it's it's pretty interesting the way that the two schools approach it. Um I will st- I will say on the actual quote about Meyer, I think I agree with um oh, I think it was Ari Washerman's yeah, was. take that like that Jim Harbaugh is I mean, he's right, you know, Urban Meyer wins a ton of games and really since he took the Florida job. He was surrounded by controversy pretty frequently. I mean, I, I don't think that whatever you think of the the Zach Smith scandal recently, I don't think you can say it wasn't a controversy, even if you, you know, whatever side you subscribe to on that, whether you're on the correct side and you think Zach Smith is a bad person or not, it was certainly controversy. controversy. And um, even before that, there was issues with Carlos Hyde that ended up not being a whole lot, but controversy doesn't necessarily mean a ton is you know coming from a situation. It just means that there is a situation, and I think that all that is true. I think it's also true that Urban Meyer wins a ton of games, and um, you know, thirdly, I think it was a weird thing for Jim Harbaugh to say. I, I understand why he would say something like that if he was asked specifically about it. It doesn't seem like he was asked specifically about it, which makes it come off as, I don't know if desperate is the right word, but just a little weird, just kind of a weird thing to say about a now-retired coach. But that that was kind of where I stand on the whole thing, is that like he's not wrong. He probably didn't need to say it at, at this point unless he was asked very, very specifically about Urban Meyer winning despite controversy, I guess. But, you know, just, just kind of a you know we're not a Michigan podcast obviously but if I was a Michigan fan I wouldn't be super pleased with all of this because like you mentioned Ohio State takes this kind of thing as motivation and they've they've done that for years and years and years now and I don't think that Ohio State really needs any extra motivation and (laughs) this is the kind of thing where you know you can start doing this once you start winning games but they haven't yet so it's uh it's it's a strange 
It's a strange thing to say and a really strange time to say it. Disregarding the Ohio State factor, it's also it also opens you up for criticism if something happens to you and wouldn't you know it, there's yeah, the, for sure. there's a situation with the kid that transferred from Michigan to Cincinnati not being able to play because Michigan or the NCAA or however that works blocked it. And that happens right after he says this and you know, the, the Ohio State thing is just the on-the-field stuff. Hey, you get your ass kicked by them. Why are you talking? That's one thing. But the instant the smallest thing happens at your program, people are going to say, oh, controver- you said controversy follows this guy. W- what about your program? And so that's yeah. especially in today's media age where a story will pop up in an instant you set yourself up to be a target. And he already is, is one of the biggest targets out there. But let, let's talk about this game because <laughs> – you know, we reviewed this, and you can go back and listen to it. It's, it's not that old. This happened very recently. But the big thing that stuck out to me about this game was how woefully underprepared Michigan was. Like, they didn't look like they watched any Ohio State film <laughs> at all. And that's what we spent all season bitching about watching Ohio State. Maybe this was the only time Ohio State looked super prepared, but it was a pretty good time. For them to do it, and Michigan was the one in this game that looked like they had no answer for even the most basic of Ohio State plays. Yeah, for sure. It was like, you know, um, Ryan Day has talked about being pretty familiar with Don Brown because they coached together. Um, I, I think it was at Boston College, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, they're, they're familiar. They're, I don't know if they're friends, but they're, they're fairly close and, um, you know, Ryan Day certainly seems to understand Don Brown's defense. And the expectation was that Don Brown would be at least kind of aware of what Ryan Day likes to do on offense. I think that, you know, assuming that Ohio State would probably run a lot of mesh and, you know, there would be some post routes and they would do some interesting things with screens. And it was like Michigan was preparing for, you know, 2016 Ohio State, where there was really no deep threat, where there was really no true threats on the outside at receiver and the the main thing that you have to focus on is the rushing attack and um that certainly wasn't the case with 2018 ohio state and it was like michigan just didn't ever really catch up to that and then in the the second half and i remember really really focusing on this in both my post game write-up of this game and in the podcast afterward where the second half michigan kind of you know seemed like they figured out what ohio state was doing in the first half and then ohio state reversed whatever they were doing in the first half and they started to show mesh and then have their receivers pivot to the outside and michigan just had no answer and was really on its heels all day long and that's almost always a sign of just not being prepared not really recognizing what the other team is capable of doing and you know when you come into a game like that this is really exactly what happens don brown struggling in a big game you you absolutely <laughs> hate to see it what a what a rare occurrence uh, that is he's great in every other game <laughs> yeah they they came into the game i think number one at least by like standard it's really bizarre standard yeah, metrics it's... and uh, advanced metrics they couldn't have been any lower than like fifth i mean they were a really good defense last year they had a ton of talent and maybe the the one play that kind of symbolizes this game is the Paris Campbell run, the long run where he just smokes everybody. And I think uh, Gar- Rashawn Gary is like one of the last people to chase him. And when you have your defensive tackle trying to chase Paris Campbell 20 yards down the field, that that's not going to work out well for you. And to me, that play kind of encapsulates everything that this game was. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was like the thing that that uh, used to be said about the SEC whenever you would see an SEC Big Ten game was, you know, they're they're faster. They're the Big Ten team isn't going to be able to keep up. And Michigan looked a whole lot like, you know, a Big Ten team circa 2007. And that seems to be kind of their whole ethos is, you know, the the big, powerful um, kind of a little bit too bulky, maybe for for modern college football, even more so than Ohio State's defense. Um and it really, really did show up in this game where you've got Paris Campbell just running all over the place and Chris Olave running all over the place. And Michigan had certainly some speed on that defense. I think Devin Bush is um, really, really good and you know was still pretty good in this game. But um, like their cornerbacks just were not fast enough to keep up with pretty much anybody that Ohio State had. Even K.J. Hill, who's not particularly fast, at least you know when it comes to breakaway sprint straight line speed and um yeah it was it was definitely just like you know how does ohio state have this much better of you know athletes than michigan does they're recruiting on pretty similar levels and michigan just it seems like they're kind of recruiting the wrong thing defensively when it comes to athletic ability to keep up with ohio state i enjoyed this game so much and had such an appetite for watching michigan get their ass kicked that i started watching the florida game after after this just to watch <laughs> michigan's like defense and dude it was it was so so beautiful and i talked about the paris campbell play if you go watch the bowl game they played with florida after this there's a third and 23 where florida just like runs a give up draw and homie there's just no one around him and he goes like great. 60 yards for a touchdown <laughs> that was how much of an appetite i had to watch michigan get killed but yeah, so many crossing routes in this game for Ohio State, and that really stood out. Dwayne Haskins throws, what, six touchdowns, one of them being the Paris Campbell flip. But he was in a zone basically for the whole game. He even is scrambling for first downs. There's, uh, of course, the hit where he slides and gets hit in the head. The officiating in this game was atrocious. We've talked about on on this before. We don't make excuses for for any of that officiating is like it's like an act of god and i don't i certainly don't think that there was any sort of bias against ohio state it was just bad officiating and for ohio state to almost win this game by 30 points and have that bad of officiating and so many calls go against them is insane and shows you how much of a whooping this was well and on top of that you've got ohio state winning this game by almost 30 i mean you know like you like you mentioned and they very nearly scored on that last drive that was kind of a kind of a strange into the game where you got I can't Demetrius believe Knox he didn't run and, up the score you know, yeah well he tried and then Demetrius Knox got hurt he's like oh well <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> um but for Ohio State to do that with like you mentioned pretty weird penalty calls kind of you know going both ways certainly and um also Ohio State really still couldn't run I mean that was a common theme for sure in 2018 but even in this game I mean Mike Weber pretty good he had the uh the long like 30 yard run but um jk dobbins wasn't super efficient really nobody was super efficient dwayne haskins actually had a surprisingly good game running the football um tate martell tate martell certainly did not have a good oh game boy. running the football um and i mean i guess if you count the paris campbell flip as a run it looks a lot better but um you know for ohio state to put up 62 points really without that much of a rushing attack um, it was super on brand for that team. This was really, I think, the most 2018 Ohio State game because 
you've got such an explosive, efficient, just brutal passing attack that really can't be stopped or even really slowed down. And then you've also got, I mean, Michigan, you know, got 401 yards on the game. They almost scored 40 points. Uh, certainly some of that was, was helped out by, what was it, a, uh, a DeMario McCall kickoff yeah. return fumble. Um and you know some some kind of silly mistakes like that but michigan had 28 first downs and you know like i said 400 yards and they held the ball for a whole lot longer than ohio state did and um it was really like you know ohio state fully embracing like you were just texas tech with five stars right now <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's really fun it's fun to watch it wasn't super fun in the moment during like purdue you know or um, even games like Minnesota, Indiana, where it was a whole lot closer, Maryland, than it probably should have been because of a bad defense. But this was kind of like the, like I said, kind of the ultimate 2018 Ohio State game where you've got Dwayne Haskins just absolutely lighting up a defense and wide receivers making plays all over the place and then not a whole lot of a rushing attack, not a whole lot of defense, but it doesn't really matter a ton. That Tate Martell package. It's bad. Woof. So <laughs> bad. Good. I have written down they would have scored 75 without that bullshit because they could have. And yeah. that was twice they brought him in there on the goal line and did absolutely nothing. And to shoot Martell the smallest amount of bail here, they didn't even make it look like they were going to have him throw either, which was hilariously stupid. And we talked about that with Braxton Miller on last episode. Putting a guy back there, unless he's just a uh, like Saquon Barkley, where he's going to make everybody miss – if he's back there at quarterback and there's no threat to throw, they're probably going to snuff it out. And Michigan, yeah. give them credit for that. Their, their defense did that on the day. They stopped Tate Martell. That was only something that Rutgers couldn't do last year. So <laughs> kudos to the Michigan defense on that. And there, Yeah, there was also the DeMario McCall fumble, which basically gave him seven points before the half. But other than that, Ohio State just controlled this game from the jump really and was able to put their foot down on offense and there was a little bit of a lull there in like the second quarter but by the third quarter everything just snowballed yeah for sure and you've got the uh the seven banks really nice punt block touchdown and like i mentioned ohio state's offense kind of switching up the way that it does things in the second half just a little bit just enough to you know throw michigan's defense off and second half actually starts a little bit slow you get you know back-to-back punts and then Ohio State kicks a field goal and then you have that that blocked punt and then it was just over you know you've got the uh pretty quick interception I think it was Jordan Fuller who um snatches a a Shea Patterson pass and then um yeah from that point it's just full-on shootout and Ohio State was always going to win a shootout if this game became that and what was the the final 38 20 so 58 combined points in the second half (laughs) that's nuts for an ohio state michigan game i didn't even realize how much um how much they scored in the second half both teams i mean imagine going back 2006 isn't a great example but going back to like 2002 and telling a fan in the stands that one day ohio state and michigan are com- are going to combine for more than 100 points <laughs> they're just going to go in front of their murals of woody hayes and bo Schembechler and just father yeah. forgive- father please please forgive me forgive <laughs> us very sorry for what we've done how ready are you to watch Chris Olave play this season? Because he, he was rules. probably he was the standout in this game, and that was because of he got a bigger role because I think it was Austin Max injury that kind of elevated him into that starting lineup. But he just torches them, and he also blocks the punt 
and he also had a big game against Northwestern too. He's going to be so good, and he he just looks very fluid when he runs routes. We've talked about not seeing a young receiver at Ohio State look so polished lately, and for that to be really his first game action and, and a game of that magnitude, man, I am super super excited to watch what Chris Olave does this year. Yeah, he's um he he looks super super talented and. Um, I, I wrote, I think it was in our, our spring preview package. I wrote something about Chris Olave kind of really looking like the next star at Ohio state. Certainly, uh, you know, two catches for 48 yards and two touchdowns is impressive. It wasn't like he was putting up a ton of volume, but man, he just, he really, really looks like Terry Glenn out there with his, his speed, his level of body control, the way that he runs his routes, and I mean, as a true freshman, wasn't super highly touted coming out of high school. I think he was actually around the thousands, um, the the thousand mark in the twenty four seven rankings. And Ohio State ends up pulling him in as a prospect kind of developmental guy. And just his combination of athleticism and receiver ability, it, it's really. I think that he could be a, a pretty serious dude for Ohio State this year as a sophomore, and then you know, on top of that, you got another year next year uh, as a junior where he's he's really going to be the star of the unit. And I, I think with KJ Hill gone in 2020, it'll be kind of Chris Olave's passing game to carry. I'm I'm really really excited for what his career is going to look like. How dare you not be ready for the 2,000-yard Garrett Wilson season? How dare you, <laughs> sir? They can both do it. <laughs> I would be okay with that, and I'm sure that Ryan Day is is looking forward to designing plays for both of those guys. Uh, one of the other things that I got really excited for watching this game was for Malik Harrison to have a linebackers coach this year because he was pretty good in this yeah, one. He was pretty good all year. Yeah, when he's in open space and he's able to just read plays and doesn't have two guys that can't do those things next to him, he's damn good. And he showed it out in this game. He was one of the difference makers for the defense. And he's also a guy that I I think can take another step this season. Was it this game where, I don't know if it was this game, where either Dante Booker or Justin Hilliard, it was one of the guys that we wanted to get on the field all year, where they had like an extremely, extremely good tackle for a loss. It might have been the Michigan State game, but where one of them just absolutely blasts into the uh, backfield and not to not to do linebacker talk for the 400th time on this podcast but man i mean it, it is certainly going to be nice to have like a linebackers coach this year that knows how to coach linebackers and a defensive coordinator that has like a you know a regular brain and uh, a normal way of thinking about football and not like a bad way of thinking about football that doesn't work. Um, but yeah, Malik Harrison looked really, really good. He had two tackles for a loss and a sack on top of uh, seven total tackles. Um, he was really kind of the main defensive player in this game that I thought looked pretty good for Ohio State. Jordan Fuller, as I mentioned, had the the interception. I thought he played pretty well. Um, outside, You didn't of that, think Kendall Sheffield was, was killing no, him not, out there? Not great. Uh, big... Big Bob Landers and Jonathan Cooper were were pretty good. They both had a uh, a sack, but um, 
outside of outside of those guys, really not a ton to say about Ohio State's defense. I'm I'm pretty glad that the 2018 rendition of Ohio State's defense is no longer in um, in operation, and we'll see how much it actually changes in 2019. I'm becoming less confident that we're going to see a ton of differences based on some of the things that Ryan Day has has said at recent press press conferences, but. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't have a ton on on the Ohio State defense here. It it did well enough that you know this wasn't a full on like back and back and forth shootout where uh, the offense was able to pull away. The defense did enough to at least allow that to happen. Um, still, I wouldn't say outside of those few individual guys that there was really a ton going on here. Yeah, Shea Patterson made sure that this one wasn't a shootout with some of the throws that Goodness. he had. Sean Wade also had a good game. Sean Wade lit up Karan Higdon on a play that should have been a fumble. And late in the game, I think it's Zach Gentry, the tight end, one of the yeah. tight ends. He just lights him up, and the dude gets up like he wants to to fight him. And it's like, bro, you're you're down twenty five. There's there's three minutes left. What do you what do you what could you possibly <laughs> say to Sean Wade right now that's gonna get under his skin uh so sean wade obviously a favorite of ours on this podcast i thought he played well but yeah not not gonna miss kendall sheffield making the uh, incomplete sign after he interferes or gives up a touchdown that that's gonna rule i hope uh nothing but the best for kendall sheffield in the nfl hope he tears it up yeah for sure I, i'm excited for him to be an all pro when he gets like an actual defensive <laughs> backs coach <laughs> My only other real thing on on this game is you mentioned Shea Patterson. Man, he did not have a good game. No, uh, he did not. Final numbers. I mean, he did have three touchdowns. Completion percentage wasn't horrible, but five point five yards per per completion. That is um, that is not ideal. That is not, not going to win you a lot of Ohio games. State defense, particularly. Uh, you can you can beat them underneath, but Michigan didn't do a great job of that, and then there was no real deep threat on their roster, which is really strange when you have Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Tariq Black, and um, I, I think that you know as as much as we would like for Ohio State to continue to just completely dominate Michigan like this, um, I kind of hope that Josh Gaddis can make it so that those receivers are. Uh, used a little bit better because I, I feel bad for for Donovan Peoples Jones that he has to deal with this. How was this the game plan after they watched what happened in the Maryland game? It's really like, Michi- baffling. Michigan's coaches watched Ohio State damn near lose to Maryland, give up what fifty one points, and this was the game plan that they came up. Like everybody wants to talk about them giving up sixty two points, which yeah, you got to figure that out. But also for that to be the offensive game plan is pretty baffling. Well, there, I mean, there really wasn't a super defined offensive game plan for Michigan. I mean, the way to beat Ohio State generally was, you know, either with a really, really good tight end and a really fast quarterback like they did, or with um, super talented fast receivers who were, for some reason, being guarded by linebackers and safeties. And Michigan didn't really seem to take any approach <laughs> at all. I mean, they had, like I mentioned, pretty talented wide receivers and um Zach Gentry or Gentry like you mentioned is a pretty good tight end and um I, I think that even a guy like Karan Higdon probably could have had a better game had they used like pre-play motion or things that we kind of knew would challenge this Ohio State defense and they just didn't um they they really like it, it's really baffling what Michigan has done on offense the last couple of years and it has certainly you know benefited 
Ohio State in a pretty major way. But like like I said, um, I feel kind of bad for a lot of the really talented receivers on Michigan's roster because like Donovan Peoples Jones should be getting all American hype if he was on a team with like you know an offensive coordinator that wanted to throw the ball down the field and um, you know Tariq Black is really really good and Nico Collins was really really good and just a, a really strange approach to to trying to play 2018 Ohio State and certainly worked out well for Ohio State and pretty obviously did not work very well for Michigan. There isn't any better way to sell this game than just it's Ohio State beating Michigan 62 to 39. Winning the division, having Michigan lose the only two real opponents that they played last season and the schadenfreude that that came from all that. So, hey, yeah, I don't feel like we need to to deep dive on why this game is so rewatchable less than a year later, but this one is certainly up there and I think very deserving for the 6th spot on our list. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a banger. It's um, you know, go watch Ohio State's awesome offense again and remind yourself of why Ryan Day is the coach cuz it rules. It's really really fun. It's good content. Just like there is here on this podcast. Mm. So, please. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's debatable. good. I'll, I'll, <laughs> objectively very good. Uh we'll let the people decide that though by going on to Apple, subscribe to the show, leave us a review, also go to Spotify, follow along with the show there as we continue on our list of the top 20 most rewatchable games in Ohio State history. On the next episode, we are going to talk about number five. We are getting into the top five of our most rewatchable games in Ohio State history. So keep up with us there and yeah, catch us next time. So for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land and go Bucks.